RadioInfluence.com. No stone will be left unturned talking all things politics with renowned news analyst, political commentator Monica Crowley on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. Monica wrote her best-selling book, What the Bleep Just Happened, The Happy Warrior's Guide to the Great American Comeback in 2012. Evidently, not enough of us paid attention. Why do I say that? Just look around at the dire straits our nation is in today. So just what the bleep has happened since then? Monica delves into topics including the failed Biden presidency, the Trump economy versus the Biden economy, the Great Reset, predictions for the 2022 midterms and the 2024 election, and there's more. She speaks on personal life recollections, including her first job working with President Nixon, working with President Trump, and her long and continuing career working in media. So let's get into it. My guest has a special place in the old memory bank for more than two decades now. After I became born again, a follower of Jesus back in the late 1990s, leaving the Democratic Party plantation was a massive step I immediately took. That, however, left me in nowhere's land as the only thing I knew about conservatism was how to spell it. I credit three radio voices back then for leading me down the path, accelerating my progress in understanding not only conservative principles, but how to implement them. Those three were the late Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin, and Monica Crowley. Monica Crowley, her Monica Crowley show, Saturday broadcast was must-listened radio for me. I could leave home without an American Express credit card, but I wasn't about to leave the premises until the conservative warrior princess had done her thing. So I am very happy to bring to you the prominent and renowned news analyst, political commentator, Monica Crowley. Monica, how are you? Hey, Gary, it's such a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. And also, thank you for those very kind words. I, I always put a lot of work into every appearance that I do, whether it's Fox News, Fox Business, my own new podcast called the Monica Crowley Podcast, which hopefully we can talk about, but that radio show as well. And you never know who you're reaching when you do these things. So when you came up to me at that event and told me that my radio show, uh, my belief, my, my faith, um, and my messaging, whether it was on America or current politics or international affairs, whatever it was, that those things really touched you and moved you, that touched and moved me as well. So I am very, very grateful to you, Gary. Thank you. And I'm very grateful to you, Monica, because I meant what I said. I, You know, growing up black and growing up a Democrat, I was always thinking we were told that Republicans were evil, that the Democrats uh, were the people that were in support of us. And it didn't seem to matter that us weren't going anywhere, you know, but and and, and I, I didn't know. And then when I left, I'm like, OK, what am I going to do now? And that Saturday show and your conviction that the way you said things, the way you back things up, 
and you were non-wavering your support. I love that conservative moniker, uh, conservative uh, Warrior Prince's moniker. And between you, Rush, and Mark Levin, I got up to speed in uh, in, in a rather short period of time. And thank you. I, I'm, I'm glad if I was able to touch you, you touched me, and now let's touch some people. Now, what you need to know before we even ask Monica a question is she's got uh, such an extensive background, people. During the Trump administration, she served as Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Public Affairs at the U.S. Department of the Treasury. She's been on multiple television, radio, digital, and print platforms. We'll get into that. She's been on TV, including the Fox News Channel, Fox Business, ABC News, NBC News. I used to watch the McLaughlin Report. And just as recently, I'm sure you caught her. With Steve Hilton on uh, on on the new revolution, on that, excuse me, the next revolution, and she was on Hannity also with Scott Brown, still making the rounds. She's written for publications including the New Yorker, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, Los Angeles Times, Newsweek. She's offered a best-selling book that the Times couldn't even deny, and we'll be getting into that. What the bleep just happened, right? She's lectured all over the place, including Yale, Columbia, and MIT. She's a graduate of Columbia University. She holds two master's degrees and a doctorate in international relations from Columbia University. And back at the beginning of it all, she served as foreign policy assistant to former President Richard Nixon from 1990 until his death in 1994, writing two bestsellers about her experiences, Nixon off the record and Nixon in winter. So this is a woman with incredible, incredible, incredible credentials. Monica, the first question, what are we up against? Like you said back then in 2012, what the bleep is going on? It's, multi, it's, it's much worse now. So let the people know, in your opinion, what are we up against and is it still fixable? Yeah, you know, thank you for that kind introduction, Gary. Very grateful for that as well. You're welcome. Um, You're welcome. When I when I wrote What the Bleep Just Happened, that was a that was in the middle of the Obama presidency and it was a look back at his first term and all of the horrors that we were going through back then with what Obama called the fundamental transformation of the nation. Now, when he said that, a lot of people kind of dismissed it or they didn't think much about it, right? But I zoned in on that phrase and I said, what does he mean by that? And it became apparent really fast that what Obama meant by that was moving the United States away from the, the traditional pillars that made America unique and made America great. And that is individual liberty limited government, a strong military, and uh, fiscal responsibility, of course, but the biggest of them all, free market capitalism, free mm -hmm. enterprise. So what Obama meant by the fundamental transformation of the nation is taking America away from those things that made us who we are and bestowed greatness on us in a very short amount of time and move the country toward a more collectivist Marxist kind of model. So it's no coincidence that one of the first things Obama did, and remember, Joe Biden was his wingman as number two vice president. Mm -hmm. The very first thing Obama did was try to grab control of the healthcare system, which is what socialist and communist uh, leaders do as soon as they get into power. Because if they can control your health care, they can control you. It's matters of life and death. So there's no mystery here about what Obama and Biden were doing during those years. 
when the 2016 election came around, Trump, they thought they thought they they struck a gold mine when Trump became the GOP nominee. Why? Because they thought he was going to be easily beatable. And what they really wanted was a continuation of the Obama years. They didn't they did not want to be interrupted in their grand project of remaking America, stripping away free enterprise and capitalism, stripping away individual freedom. Um, Trump wins. They've tried to destroy him during the campaign and then throughout his presidency because he was interrupting their grand project and because he represented an existential threat to all of them. So they continue now, even through the January 6th committee, to try to destroy this man. And it's not just about stopping Trump. It's also a shot across the bow to any normal person who might want to run for office, any would-be disruptors. The message is don't even think about it or we're going to put you through what we put Trump through. So Trump puts their plans on hold for four years and then Biden comes in and we can debate whether or not 2020 was stolen from Trump or, or the election integrity issue. We can certainly talk about that. But Biden gets in and he reinvigorates the grand plan. And so everything that you are seeing, whether it's the weakening economy, skyrocketing gas prices, uh, the labor crunch, the, uh, the supply chain crisis, the wide open southern border, gutting the U.S. military, crime spiking, cities in collapse, America's weakness abroad. Every direction you see an historic catastrophe, Gary, but what everybody needs to understand is that this is the plan. You know, when people talk about, well, I can't believe Joe Biden doesn't have a plan to fix these disasters. This is it. the plan. This is a controlled demolition of the United States of America. You, you just nailed that to the wall, Monica. And here's the big question. Everybody should be catching on because this is the plan because there is no plan to fix it. They're saying this is the new normal. Get used to five or six dollars gas. Get used to empty shelves. Get get used to less prosperity. Get used to becoming part of the global initiative instead of American sovereignty. My question to you is now that they have ripped their masks off and showing who they are pretty much. Do you think people are starting to catch on and get fed up with this? I do. I do. I think even if they don't understand the grand plan that I just laid out to turn the United States into really a, a socialist or even communist entity, even if they don't understand the depths of depravity that they will sink in order to achieve that agenda, they are seeing the effects of it in their daily lives. So when I mentioned the weakening economy, uh, the opportunities are, are sparse. America has always been the land of opportunity and the land of plenty. Why? Because we've enjoyed free market capitalism, which raises all boats and creates tremendous opportunity and tremendous plenty. You know, the last time we saw shelves bare like we're seeing in America was the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. It was behind the Iron Curtain. This is the effects of communism. So while people may not get what is really going on here in terms of the transformation of the nation, they are seeing it in their own lives. They're seeing the skyrocketing inflation. They're seeing the shortages. They cannot feed their babies because of the shortages of baby formula. They, they have to decide between groceries and gas now. Every time they go to a gas station, they're having a heart attack. 
they're seeing that while their wages might be going up, which is to the good, inflation is so far outstripping those wage gains that they're actually experiencing a drop in their real wages. So their purchasing power is much, much less. So they're feeling it. They're seeing it with their own two eyes. And while every president and every White House tries to spin certain issues or certain problems and tries to put the best gloss on things, there's a difference between spin and outrageous, blatant lying, which is what this administration is clearly doing. But the American people are not buying it. They are suffering. This is not some some obscure uh, scandal that nobody can really understand because it's so complicated. No, this is affecting their daily lives and the security of their families. And for that reason, you're seeing um, Biden's poll numbers circling the drain. He is at historic lows for any president at this point in their presidency. And you're seeing the Democratic Party absolutely falling apart hemorrhaging support among their core constituencies, Gary, like black voters, like Latino voters, women, younger voters, they're all falling away from the party because they are suffering and they cannot afford to live. It all sounds good, Monica, but you know that old saying, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around to hear it, does it make a sound? They control Hollywood, they control the media, they control academia, they look like they have the courts, they have the White House, it looks like the swamp is running amok. So we know all this. A lot of people are darn sure the election was stolen. We know what's going on at the border. We know what was going on with Hunter, even what just went on with Nancy Pelosi's husband, how they covered all that up. Okay, people are starting to get it, but can we do anything about this? And if so, When is the crack in the dam finally going to appear so the water just come rushing through? You know, Gary, I think I think there is a a boiling resentment, anger, frustration, fury that is just boiling under the surface in America. And it's the it's the deplorables, as Hillary called us. But let's just take a step back in history to understand who we are. It really began in the modern era with Nixon's reference to the great silent majority. Okay, so the loudest voices in the room are the left, and they because they control the press, they have big amplification. And because they control the culture, movies, television, music, that they've got these huge megaphones to get their point of view across and to intimidate everybody else who doesn't believe into silence. So Nixon called us the great silent majority, and they elected Nixon not once, but twice. A couple of years later, they stepped up and voted Ronald Reagan into power, not once, but twice, second time in a huge landslide. And there were a lot of Democrats that then became Republicans. Nixon called them the hard, um, hard hat Nixon voters, meaning mm-hmm. construction guys, right? Blue collar folks who crossed over to vote for Nixon. They did again in Reagan. And then fast forward, Obama gets elected. That same group of people, us, created organically the Tea Party to fight for uh, American values and American principles like free market capitalism, fighting against socialism, individual liberty, limited government. We organically came into being known as the Tea Party to fight against all of that. 
And of course, they use the same weapons to try to destroy us, calling us racists and, and everything else to try to discredit us. Fast forward again, Trump comes along and all of these movements are the same movement. They just get different names. So now it's the America First movement or the MAGA movement. But it's all the same, right? So, of course, they've got to discredit and destroy that as well. Um, what can we do about it? Do not, first of all, do not get discouraged. And I know that's a very tough mm -hmm. thing to do. But keep your eyes on God. And if you're a Christian. Amen to that. Keep your eyes on Jesus because he's walking right there with us, right? He's right by our side Amen. in the middle of all of this. And I'm a person of faith, Gary, as you know, and sometimes I get discouraged because I look around and I see evil ascendant. I mean, when you mm. look at the, the trans agenda and the sexualization of our children and the child abuse going on, and you, you just see that the enemy is having a field day. But we're starting to see a little bit of a turnaround, and I've got to believe God is starting to put his foot down here. Yes. Right? The and hammer. God, <laughs> amen. And God, look, God allows things to happen, but he works them all to the good. So perhaps he's allowing the, the country to feel rock bottom so that we, we mobilize to save all of these gifts from God, namely human freedom being the number one. So what can we do? I, we've got to keep our eyes on God, keep having faith, because fear, which is what the enemy on all sides stokes, fear is the absence of faith. So that's number one, keep your faith. Um, number two, we've got a big election coming up in November. So obviously you've got to vote all the Democrats out. And I've been calling it, Gary, we've got to make sure that in November, it is an extinction level event for the Democrats. Okay, not just a red tsunami, not just a red wave. I mean, an extinction level event. That is what has to take place. And so yes, obviously vote, but also step up and do whatever you can to ensure that these elections are secure and fair. And that means getting involved locally. So I just, can I just take a moment to talk Please about do. that? Okay. Please do. This is very important. This is the most critical thing, I think. Um, so when I say get involved locally, I mean a couple of things. But since we're talking about November and going into 24, um, anybody who cares about free and fair elections, because without election integrity, we have nothing. So I would encourage you to volunteer to be an election observer, um, an election poll worker on election day or in the days leading up to the election, because now we've got election months instead of election days. Um, so step up locally and volunteer to do that. And if there are any attorneys listening to us today who feel strongly about election integrity and the future of the country, volunteer your services to, to be an election counter. If there is a challenge in your district or in your state, step up and volunteer your services to watch for recounts and other challenges. So all of that is uh, geared toward elections, but there's another way that we can make change. Um, and that also involves getting involved locally. The left for decades, Gary, has understood what Tip O'Neill once said, which is all politics are local. 
And so the left being supported by people like George Soros pouring tens of millions of dollars Mm -hmm. into local communities, um, they have been able to make change from the bottom up. This is what communist revolutions are. It's from the bottom up, not from the top down. So understanding this, because they they are all communists, they have put their, their head to the wheel here, their shoulder to the wheel for decades in changing communities. So getting to the question of what we can do, I would encourage you to get involved locally because the left has taken control over mayor's offices, uh, city councils, town councils, school boards, houses of worship. They've taken control of those entities locally and changed things. Getting back to Barack Obama, remember, Gary, Obama started as a community organizer. This is the whole Saul Alinsky left-wing mm-hmm. American communist approach, which is community organizing. They didn't start at the presidency, although they got it with Obama and they have it again with Biden. But they didn't start there. They started locally by grabbing control of these local offices and community hubs like places of worship and school boards. So now we have started to wake up to that. And I would encourage everybody who cares about their country to get involved locally. And if you can't, um, well, let me say this. If you have resources, support local candidates who believe as we do. Um, donate to them or donate your time to supporting them. If you have the time, seek those offices yourself or seek roles that will support those offices yourself. Um, On my podcast recently, I had two great women, one an African-American woman and one a Latina, who have much better things to do than run for their local mm-hmm. local school boards because they're raising their children, they have part-time or full-time jobs, but they are horrified by what their children are being taught by these radicals, and they are stepping up to run for their local school board. I'm telling you, it doesn't take a lot to do it except time and dedication. Do that. If you see candidates who are running and you don't want to run yourself, support them however you can. Give them money or volunteer your time. Go canvas with them or for them. Pass out flyers, print flyers for them. Do whatever you can to support people locally. Um, Obviously, support national and and statewide candidates that, that you support as well. But when we talk about putting our nose to the grindstone, it really is about getting involved locally and supporting those folks who are there on the ground doing the heavy lifting. You you absolutely have that right. But you know the word it's it's not locally. It's locally, locally. <laughs> you know, hey, right but, but, but all all jokes aside, because you know I've been Donald Trump and some of his words, I've been picking up on some of his words for fun, but but the, but this is not a funny matter. And and Monica just nails something, people. You gotta understand something. I encourage you to go get two books. These are books we talk about on this show all the time. One is Rules for Radical, written by Saul Alinsky, which he dedicated to Lucifer, the first yes. radical. Okay, yes. you need to understand how they pull this off, which Monica is gonna tell you about in about a minute when we have a lesson on cultural Marxism 101. But what they did, what they did, Solinsky, 
showed people in Chicago, in the Midwest, how to community organize, how to organize the community through the unions to take over from the bottom up. Okay, then you need to read The Naked Communist, written, I think, 1969 by former uh, FBI agent W. Cleon Skousen, in which he explained back then what the planks were that the communists wanted, as Monica's already said, get control of the educational system, get control of the unions, get control of Hollywood, get control of the print media, turn the uh, uh, evangelical, evangelical church around from a pick up your cross and follow me Jesus type thing to social justice. They have completely taken over. People are saying, how did we lose the country? Well, we didn't lose it in one day. We didn't get it back in one day. But Monica, I would like you to give them a lesson because obviously Karl Marx, he wanted the thing, you know, you get rid of God, you get rid of the guns, and then you win by revolution. That wasn't going to work here. So we go the Italian route, Antonio Gramsci. Now we're going to do it by cultural Marxism. Explain how they were able to do all this. I think they came in right through Columbia University, if I'm not mistaken, through the Frankfurt School and have just blown the cut blown the culture sky high yes it, this is exactly right and you laid it out really well gary i want so you to I, lay it out <laughs> they, <laughs> well, they, they know they'll job. listen to you who am i <laughs> <laughs> no no you're fantastic and you just did a great job but i will just um elaborate on it a little bit so after this the soviets the bolsheviks took control of uh, Russia and started building the Soviet Union, they realized obviously that the United States was the key enemy. Capitalist system, free market system, free people, totally antithetical to what the Soviets were building in Russia. So they wanted to destroy the United States. And in the 1930s, they came up with the idea of trying to destroy the United States from without in other words, an external threat, like trying to overthrow us, mm -hmm. like full frontal overthrow of the U.S. And the Great Depression kind of helped their plan, but obviously it did not work because our Constitution is incredibly durable. So World War II comes along and we basically ally with the Soviet Union to destroy Nazi Germany. But then after the war, obviously the, the Iron Curtain drops and now we're in a Cold War with the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact. They want, still want to destroy the United States at that time, but they come up with a much clever, more clever plan, which is to not destroy the United States from without, but to destroy the United States from within. And they hatched the plan to do that by grabbing control of the main pillars of American society and life. So they infiltrated us, and they took control of the main pillars, meaning, number one, the culture, movies, television, music, because everything else is downstream from culture, including politics. So they cleverly grabbed control of that. They grabbed control of the news media and they grabbed control of academia. And they started at the university level. Now it's all the way down to kindergarten. Those mm -hmm. little kids are being indoctrinated, but they started at the university level. So they infiltrated us and they used what Lenin called useful idiots to perpetuate this grand plot project of destroying us from within. Left wingers in the United States who believed in communism, they were true believers. And they developed this whole system and between the messaging and the control 
over many decades, they have been like termites, gradually eating away at the foundation of the country. And you know, when you've got a piece of wood that's been eaten away by termites, uh, the wood looks fine, the structure looks fine until one day a gust of wind comes and it collapses, Mm -hmm. right? Well, that's been their approach for decades. And when the Soviet Union uh, fell apart, the CCP, the Chinese, then stepped into the breach. Other people did as well. So you have the Islamists. You've got other kinds of radicals that have also joined in the fight to destroy us from within. So it's not just the CCP, but the CCP is the biggest of them all and the most coordinated and the most well-funded. But they're also they're assisted by the Islamists and, and others eating away at us. But the CCP did something even more clever, which is that they got our ruling class elites to go along with the idea of creating economic dependency on the part of the United States on China. Uh, getting them, getting all of us addicted to cheap labor and cheap goods. And so the ruling class went along with it. And, uh, and now here we are, where the, the Chinese are the leading termite, but we've got a lot of termites eating away. And the whole superstructure of the United States is now in the position of being extremely fragile. Wow. Yeah, you laid that out. Monica, please tell them because the media won't let people know. Please break down, unpack the difference between the Trump economy and the Biden economy. And I know you know a little bit about this from your time dealing in the treasury. And you can tell us since we lost sight of you, what you were doing back there. But but what is the, explain the difference in the two economies because they're trying to put out that the Biden economy is better than the Trump economy. We know this is, you know, total kabuki theater, but why are they a- actually able to get away with it? I have liberal former friends that know they made money in their 401ks back when President Trump was president that are now losing money, yet they still buy in the Biden economy. Well, look, I mean, But there's one key ingredient that goes into this, which is the protection of the press. If you've got the protection of the press, you can literally say or do anything and get away with it because the left wing press is now their wingmen. They they've always been biased to the left. But now what's different in the Trump era and post Trump era is the level of intensity and activism on their part. So the Biden team can go out and say, hey, you know, we're in a strong economy. It's obviously a blatant lie. And everybody knows that. And the American people know it. They see through it. But they get away with saying it and convincing at least some people that it's true because the press does not question them. And in fact, the exact opposite actually amplifies lies as we saw under Trump and and certainly now with, uh, you know, all the lies targeting Trump and now with Biden's lies about how great the economy is, which nobody believes because it's not anybody's lived experience. Right. So you asked me about um, the, the Trump economy versus the Biden economy. And I'm thankful to talk about it because I did spend nearly two years at the Treasury Department in the Trump administration 
which was an extraordinary, extraordinary opportunity and adventure. So when Trump came in and he had a Republican Congress, he was able to get into place a number of very common sense pro-growth economic policies that he kept in place for all four years. They are tax cuts, regulatory relief, unleashing our great energy sector and getting us to be energy independent for the first time in our nation's history, and negotiating fairer trade deals to protect the forgotten man and woman in the U.S. So those four pillars delivered a booming economy under President Trump that actually benefited every single American. Every demographic group benefited from Trump's economic policies to the point where we had at or near historically low unemployment rates for every demo group. So uh, white Americans, black Americans, Latino Americans, Asian Americans, women, young Americans, Americans with disabilities, every single demographic group had at or, or, or near uh, historically low unemployment. And then, you know, the Democrats always talk about putting people back to work and reducing poverty and narrowing the wage and wealth gaps between the rich and the poor. Well, you know what, Gary? In four short years, Donald Trump actually did those things. Mm-hmm. In particular, he achieved the lowest ever poverty rate for black Americans in U.S. history. And he also delivered a narrowing of the wage and wealth gaps, what's known as income inequality, right, which the Democrats have always been railing against. Trump actually narrowed that because, yes, the people at the top of the income scale actually did earn more. But the people toward the bottom end of the income scale earned more and at a faster rate than those at the top. And so you had a narrowing of the income inequality Mm. gap. So Donald Trump actually did those things that the Democrats always say that they want to do. Trump delivered. And then, of course, Biden. Well, first we get the pandemic, but then Biden comes in and destroyed it all in a year and a half. Wow. Well, uh you know, I don't want to don't don't put them on the ledge too much, Monica, but let them know how bad and how catastrophic a failure this presidency is of Joe Biden. So this is an historic catastrophe. What we are seeing, uh, we talked about the, the bad economy, which is only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. In fact, the other night I was at a dinner and I was seated next to a man who's long been in corporate America and steeped in economics. And we were talking about the possibility of a recession. And in fact, we might already be in one because the first quarter GDP actually shrank. Uh, There was negative growth by 1.5 percent, which is very significant. So we may already be in a recession. But we were talking about this and he actually used the D word depression. And he thought it was likely that we were heading toward another Great Depression of the kind we saw in the 1930s. I don't know if that's likely. I think a recession is absolutely likely, but I'm not so sure about a depression. But here's the thing, Gary, and everybody needs to understand this. Yes, all of this is deliberate. And how do we know that? Because a normal president 
facing failing policies, policies that are not delivering for the American people and creating tremendous economic insecurity and damage, um, while also deeply affecting poll numbers for himself and for his party. Even if that president saw all of this wreckage, even, even if he decided, well, it's still the right policies, but out of a need for sheer uh, political survival, for myself and my party going into the next election, I'm going to course correct. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stop with these damaging policies and I'm going to change course. It just because I want to win the next election and preserve my viability, right? You are seeing none of that from the Biden, Biden administration. None of that. Even Jimmy Carter, who only had one term, but at the end of that mm. term, he started to course correct on economic policy and national security policy. The Soviets were going into Afghanistan. The Iranians held our hostages. So even Carter began to get tougher and more free market oriented. We are not seeing that at all with Joe Biden. So that tells you that all of this is intentional. And that means it is going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, what, what do you want to say about the Great Reset? Well, that is a huge topic, but let me just d describe what it is and talk about how it's being done both internationally and here at home. The Great Reset is not a conspiracy theory, like a lot of people like to dismiss it. But no, the people actually who developed it and are carrying it out wrote a couple of books called the Great Reset. Reset. Right. So it's all there. Anybody can go Google it, take a look, read the book so that you, you have a better understanding of it. It originates with the World Economic Forum or the WEF. They hold their global elitist meeting every year in Davos, mm -hmm. Switzerland. Um, it, the guy who runs it is a guy named Klaus Schwab. And his main advisor is a guy named Yuval Hariri who's a really terrifying guy. But all of these people are incredibly scary in terms of what they're, they're doing and, and the agenda that they're uh, putting into effect. Um, so you've got the World Economic Forum leading the way, but you also have an, a lot of global predators who are also pushing this agenda. And they include the likes of Bill Gates uh, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, George Soros, there are others who are pushing this agenda and they're all working hand in glove to change the nature of the world. And what it involves, Gary, is their ultimate objective is to create a globalist Marxist state. So one that is economically Marxist, where there's no free market, um, but also one that is culturally Marxist that is accompanied by a CCP-styled surveillance state, mm -hmm. social credit system, and you're always being watched and monitored. So that is their dream. And in fact, their very public tagline is that they've got 2030 as the end date for achieving this global transition. And they say, by 2030, you will own nothing and be happy. So think about what the, this is. This is communism. Right. And they're trying to put lipstick on a pig and, and dress it up. Um, but this is communism. This is their objective. But it's a 21st century 
communism. So it's about the digital surveillance state where you, everything about you is being monitored. This guy Hariri, Klaus Schwab's deputy, he is, uh, and you can go on YouTube and look at his videos. It's all out there. Um, he talks about how uh, the human race will be changed. This is transhumanism, taking human uh, beings and making them hybrids of robots or hybrids of computers where there's a chip underneath your skin so the state can monitor you and the, the state can also pull away your freedoms or your benefits at the drop of a hat. So if you're on social media and you say something that the state doesn't like, they can freeze your bank account or they can put you to sleep for 48 hours because you've got something under your skin. I know all of this sounds fantastical and, and out of control and unbelievable, but they're all on record saying exactly this. And China's already doing it, and they all revere the CCP and what China's done. They would, they would have locked down the entire world, Gary, the way the CCP just, again, locked down Shanghai. They would have done it if they could have. But they're trying to get us to that point, and they're actually accelerating their plans to try to achieve this before 2030. I'm glad you wrapped that down, Monica, because this is the second time my listeners are hearing this because I had recently on Dr. Naomi Wolf, who left the Democratic Party over issues just like this. And this was one of her big threats. She was talking about that this great reset is extremely dangerous because from the point that the, the that the what she called a uh, bad actor globalist elites, the ones that are at the forefront of this they don't even care about their countries anymore. They just see this as a huge power grab where they can gain control. So they're willing to bypass the sovereignty of their own nations for this one particular cause. I well, have a go ahead. It's actually yeah, it's actually worse than that, Gary. It's not bypassing national sovereignty. It's destroying yeah. national sovereignty. Yeah, That's their objective. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You know, this is rough. Not, well, Mic drop. I always give everybody a mic drop. I'll just say uh, one thing and I'll just drop the mic and let you just freestyle. And your mic drop question is, uh, or it's a statement is, what is the number one issue that you see confronting us today? Well, um, to me, the, the one threat that, and we're surrounded by threats that are coming at us every day. But the one threat to me that trumps everything else is the left's weaponization of our government against its own people. Mm. So it's the weaponization of the American government against the rest of us. That weaponization that we see with a corrupt Department of Justice, a corrupt FBI, a corrupt CDC, um, a woke military, um, uh, mandates being used and abused. The weaponization of our own government against us is the number one threat we have because the founders gave us a representative democracy, a republic we're not a straight democracy. We are a republic because they wanted to make sure that we had checks and balances built into the system so nobody could abuse power, right? Well, that has now gone away. Mark Levin calls it a post-constitutional America, and I think that's exactly right. 
it's extremely dangerous because we can see how this power is being abused. We can see how we have been turned into subjects. We are no longer free people. We've got an illusion of freedom now. And the people who claim to be our representatives are not. They're little tyrants who Mm. are lording over us as we have been turned into subjects. That, to me, is the most dangerous threat that we are facing right now. I hear you, Monica. Monica, we're both, you're, uh, you're, you're originally a Jersey girl. I'm originally a Jersey guy. I grew up in Summit, New Jersey. You grew up um, in uh, Warren Township, went to Warren Hills Regional High School. So let's let's take it back to the day. Uh, so you, you graduate from Warren Hills Regional High School in New Jersey. And if somebody had told you that you would end up getting a job working for Richard Nixon and that you would work for President Trump and you'd be, you know, a beacon of conservatism and you'd write books and you'd be a lecturer and you'd be all over the news media. What would you have said as a 17 year old? And (laughs) how did this happen? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for those two questions. Um, You know, I always I always wanted to be a performer. So let's let's start with that. So my first the first job I wanted to do as a little girl, I wanted to be a ballerina and then I wanted to be an astronaut. Well, neither one of those things came to pass. (laughs) Um, But then from a pretty early age, I wanted to be like a news anchor. I wanted to be on top. Well, first, I wanted to be a pop star, but I didn't quite have the chops for that. (laughs) I wanted to be Madonna. But that was not going to happen. My mother would not let that happen, by the way. Um, So then I turned my sights to, well, how can I perform but in service of my country? And I settled on news media because I realized, you know, I had some things to say. Um, I, you know, I had the ability to say them well in terms of intellect and communication skills. God bless me with Um, And so I decided the news media would probably be the best place for me to go. So from the time I was like a teenager, I want to say that I I sort of revered Jessica Savage, Diane Sawyer, Barbara Mm -hmm. Walters, and studied them. Um, In terms of President Nixon, and I love telling this story, so thank you for giving me the opportunity to do it. I was a junior at Colgate. And my major was political science. And and I really enjoyed the courses that I was taking related to that, the presidency, Congress, things like that. But the spring of my junior year, I was looking at the syllabus and I saw a new course listed and it was called national security. And I went, huh, what is this? And then I looked and it was a new professor coming to campus uh, who was going to teach this course. So I immediately signed up for it. I took it, Gary. I absolutely loved it. And I mean, loved the material so much so that I was the only kid in a class of about 70 who got an A plus in the class. So when the course was over and I was getting ready to go home uh, for the summer between my junior and senior years, I approached the professor and he was like the only conservative professor on campus. And I was pretty much the only conservative kid on campus. He became a mentor to me. And when I said to him at the end of the course, I said, listen, I absolutely love this material and I'd love to turn it into a career. How do I do that? He got up and he walked over to his bookcase 
And he took four books down and he handed them to me. And he said, go home this summer, read these books. And when you come back in the fall, we'll talk about what you've learned from them and how to build out a career. I said, great. So the first book that I chose to read of those he lent to me was a foreign policy book written by President Nixon. And at that point, he was writing a new foreign policy book every two years. So as the world was changing, he was updating uh, in terms of a new book, updating what American policy should be in the new world every two years. So it was his most current book at the time. And it so blew me away, Gary, that I sat down and I wrote Richard Nixon a letter. Mm. And it wasn't really a family, although I was a huge admirer of his. It was a substantive letter that dealt with the issues he raised in the book. And I mailed it to him, forgot about it. And about a month later, I was getting ready to go back to, to Colgate. And I go to my mom's mailbox and I take out a handwritten note from Richard Nixon to me. <laughs> and it was when you talk about a divine, how God moves in all of our mm. lives. This was an absolute divine connection. God absolutely put his hand on me and inspired me to write that letter to Richard Nixon in the first place, and then inspired Richard Nixon to write back and offer to visit with me for a while. So at the beginning of my senior year at Colgate, I went and visited with President Nixon. He gave me an hour and a half of his time, and I was nobody. I was a college kid with no money, no connections, but a passion for American foreign policy. So he gave me an hour and a half, and then we kept up a correspondence until I graduated the following May. And that's when he offered me a job. And I ended up working for President Nixon for the next four years until he passed away. And I served as a foreign policy assistant, traveled around the world with him, met with all of the heads of state with whom he met, worked with him on his last two books, worked with him on all of his speeches, and just learned an extraordinary amount from this extraordinary man. And, and actually, that job set me on the trajectory of the media career that I've also enjoyed. Wow, that's some story. Now, uh, tell us what it was like working with President Trump. Now, uh, the reason I asked, did you, first off, did you know him beforehand? Like me, you may not know, I was a sports writer for a Newsday first and then the New York Daily News. I started with Newsday in 1975. I ended at the Daily News. My last year was 1993. The Knicks were my primary beat. I did major college football and basketball, but I did cover your New York Jets and your New York Mets. So, But I interviewed Donald Trump twice when he was the uh, owner of the New Jersey Generals. One time was after he signed Herschel Walker. So I had had some... Uh, correspondence with him back when he was Donald Trump. Did you know him before? And what was it like working for him? Well, I had just met him a couple of times just in passing in New York City, um, you know, during during different events and parties and things like that. But I cannot say that I really knew him. He felt like he knew me because he's an avid consumer of television news. And, you know, certainly when he announced for president in June of 2015, about 72 hours after he came down the escalator, I was on with Bill O'Reilly and then Don Imus, and they were all having a hearty chuckle about <laughs> Trump. And they were all saying, oh, this is a vanity run. He's only going to last two or three weeks, and then it'll be over. He's doing this for name recognition, for his business. 
And I looked at the two of them on national TV and I said, stop laughing. Do not underestimate him. He is going to pull the whole thing off. So that shut them both up. Do you know Donald Trump saw that and he never forgot it. And to this very day, when I see him, he was like, Monica, you were with me at the very beginning. In fact, you were the first one to come out publicly for me. And he said, when everybody else was mocking me, you stood up for me because you got it. And he said, I'll never forget it. And he has never forgotten it. Gary, what I'd like to uh, joke now is that I worked for President Nixon at the start of my career and President Trump mid-career. Man, do I know how to choose him. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Only the most controversial presidents for Monica. Mm -hmm. No boring presidents, no Grover Cleveland's up in Mm -hmm. here, okay? No William Howard Taft's. Only the most controversial for me. And you know what? They have a lot in common in terms of both being outsiders. Obviously, there are big differences between the two of them, but they were both outsiders and they both incurred the wrath of the deep state. Um, And in many ways, they were both underdogs, which is probably what attracted me to work for the two, these two American presidents. That is, that is some legacy for you. Monica, I've truly enjoyed this. Uh, before we ask you to tell people where they can reach you and anything you want to promote, me living here on Long Island, I will have to move if I don't ask you this one last question that I know you probably get asked a lot. And that is, did your mother during holidays, when your sister was married to Alan Combs, who has passed, did your mother have to make sure there were no knives around the table? <laughs> yes, we have been known to hurl food across the table on, on the holidays. No, no. We, we sort of put in a rule which Alan tended to violate because he started his career as a stand-up comedian. I saw him at the comic strip in Catch a Rising Star. I saw him yes. back in the day. Yeah, I was stunned when he was on Hannity and Combs. I said, what is going on? This guy's a comic with Rick Overton. What's going on? Yes, exactly. But you know what? That sense of humor kept him in good stead at Fox News. He was one of the very few liberals on Fox News. So he understood to leaven what he was saying with humor. And he did a great, great job. And he was a very good man. But when we all got together, you know, we tried to have a rule of no politics on holidays because we didn't want it to descend into a debate or or worse. Right. And uh, so Alan would he always had a sparkle in his eye. And every once in a while, he'd like throw a a grenade in the middle of the (laughs) holiday table. Like he would say something like, so Barack Obama, good president or best president ever? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was so funny and it was so much fun. And my sister would get all mad. And um, but he was a very good man and we all miss him dearly. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, and, you know, Hannity and Combs, that was interesting. Could you imagine a Hannity and Combs now? I don't think they could do that show in this climate. You know, they don't really do debate shows anymore because it just sort of descends into something that's not healthy or or great for the viewer either when it gets hostile and they're talking over each other. You've got that right. Monica, please tell people how they can reach you and anything you'd like to promote. Yes. Well, thank you. So on social media, please follow me on Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore at Monica Crowley underscore on Twitter and truth social. I'm at Monica Crowley. And then my podcast is called the Monica Crowley podcast, 
which is not particularly creative name, but it gets directly to the point. And in, in this in this time in the country, Gary, we don't have time to bleed. So it's the Monica right. Kelly podcast. Um, and it's available on all podcast platforms. So wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, you will be able to find the Monica Crowley podcast. I do it three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And uh, I'm having a ball with it as well. There are really serious issues that we've discussed here that I also talk about on the, on the podcast in very unique ways. I bring on great guests and we also have a lot of fun. I hear you. Monica, thanks for coming on. I would like to ask you back because there's so much that I would want to get into that we couldn't get into all of it today, but you're always welcome to come back on the show. I really thank you for coming on and uh, you have given the listeners a lot to think about. You've given them a lot of truth, but also you have provided some solutions and that's what we need because the key thing is not where we are, where we're heading. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. God bless. I want to thank Monica Crowley for providing insight, expertise, and solutions on issues plaguing our nation, as well as opening the door to give us a look into her life's incredible journey. The conservative warrior princess rocks. That's for sure. This podcast is available for download at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. Well, we're done for now, folks. Thanks for joining us. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America.